Well, good morning. Welcome to worship today, whether you're here in person or watching online or out on the patio. We're glad you're worshiping with us today. I was thinking all of these calendars converging today, the NFL calendar with uh, Super Bowl Sunday today. And for me, I'm not a huge football fan. To me, the Super Bowl is just a signal that spring training is almost here for Major League Baseball. But yeah, so I have a few, few people out there. But whoever you're rooting for, I hope it's a great game for you. But it's also um, the beginning of Lunar New Year for those who celebrate celebrate Lunar New Year. And so we're excited about that. And it's also the last Sunday in the season of Epiphany before we turn the page in the Christian calendar and begin the season of Lent. So all of these calendars converging today. I was about three years old when I learned my ABCs. At least that's what my mom tells me. Um, No matter what our first language might be, most of us start with the alphabet. Every letter that we'll need to speak and eventually to write, that language is contained in the letters of the alphabet. The English alphabet has 26 letters, Spanish 27, Chinese 26, Ancient Greek 24, Ancient Hebrew 22. I didn't learn a second alphabet until I was in my 20s and I started to learn biblical Greek. Between my undergraduate and seminary studies, altogether, I took a total of three and a half years of biblical Greek. I was a glutton for punishment since I was only required to take two years. But it all started on the very first day of beginning Greek where we learned the alphabet the very first day of class. We even had a little song to memorize the letters, Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, Epsilon, all the way to Omega, the last letter of the alphabet. Today, we're going to see Jesus revealed as the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. Today, we finish our series, Jesus' Revelation. We've spent the six weeks of the season of Epiphany looking at how the book of Revelation reveals Jesus to us and that how Revelation reveals Jesus to us can help us as a congregation become more of a worshiping community. The first week, we saw Jesus revealed as the Son of Man. As the Son of Man in worship, we encounter Jesus as our King, our priest, and our prophet. And then we saw Jesus revealed as the worthy lamb, the the powerful lion who came to the earth as the sacrificial lamb. Lamb is actually the most frequent image the book of Revelation uses to describe Jesus. And as the worthy lamb, Jesus alone was worthy to reveal and to carry out the plan of God for the world. We saw Jesus revealed as the child chased by a dragon in chapter 12. Since the very beginning of creation, Satan the dragon has tried to stop Jesus from carrying out the plan of God for, for salvation. But by dying on the cross, the child slayed the dragon. And we saw Jesus revealed as the groom on his wedding day. And we saw the second coming of Jesus at the end of history revealed as a wedding processional 
And all of God's people from the past, the present, and the future together are gathered as the bride for this arriving groom on his wedding day. And although the beastly empires of our world try to lure us away from our groom with promises of power and wealth and security, our groom is preparing us for that great wedding feast that is yet to come. And then last week, Pastor Kate showed us how Jesus is revealed as the temple. That as God's temple in God's new creation, Jesus is the light and the center of everything in that new creation. And Pastor Kate helped us understand that, that life in the future is not just an eternal vacation in the good place, but a life that's abundant and full and centered around Jesus. And so today we finish in the last chapter of Revelation, seeing Jesus as the Alpha and the Omega. So I want to invite you, if you're able, would you stand as we hear this final word from Revelation, beginning in verse 7 of chapter 22. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll. Worship God. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll, because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. And then Jesus is speaking again in verse 12. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from the prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life in which the holy city, which are described in this scroll. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen.
This is the word of the Lord and the last words of the Bible. You can be seated. The anchor to this passage is verse 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. All three of these pairs in verse 13 are limited sets. Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. First and last describe a limited number of things in a row. And beginning and end describe a limited duration of time. Words, things, time. Back in chapter 1, verse 8, it was actually God the Father who identified himself as the Alpha and the Omega. But here in chapter 22, it's Jesus who says these very same words, yet another reminder of the triune God that we worship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, perhaps the most confusing part of this ending of Revelation and this ending to the Bible is this emphasis on Jesus coming soon. We see it in verse 7. See, I am coming soon. In verse 10, the time is near. In verse 12, look, I am coming soon. And again in verse 20, yes, I am coming soon. Since Revelation was written 2,000 years ago, what are we to make of these words? Some have suggested that, that John, who wrote the book of Revelation, and other early Christians of the first century believed that Jesus was going to return to this earth within their lifetime before they died. And when that failed to happen, the next generation of Christians had to scramble and come up with an explanation to figure out a way to move forward in light of that unfulfilled expectation of the earliest Christians. Well, this would make statements like this false since Jesus didn't arrive in the lifetime of John and the other apostles. But as we read this, I think it helps us to remember that when Jesus arrived the first time, people had lots of different expectations about how the kingdom of God was going to arrive. Jesus said, repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. And people had all of these expectations about what that would look like. And none of those expectations looked like what actually happened. I think Jesus' announcement of the eminent arrival of the kingdom of God in his life helps us make sense out of these early Christian statements about Jesus coming soon. So what does soon mean for us 2,000 years later in Revelation? Well, I think it means that Christ's arrival is certain. His arrival is certain. Whenever we say the Apostles' Creed together or we sing it together, we confess that we believe he will come again to judge the living and the dead. He will come again. Christ will return to this earth. It is certain enough to describe as soon. I think this phrase also reminds us that we are in the final chapter of God's redemptive plan. 
I mean, the first chapter was creation, Genesis 1 and 2, when God created the heavens and the earth. And the second chapter in Genesis 3 was the entrance of sin into our world that, that spoiled and, and caused the creation to fall. And then, and then God called Israel, which is the third chapter in this story. And then through Israel, God brought Jesus, the Savior, into the world, the fourth chapter. And during this fourth chapter, Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended back into heaven. And then to start the fifth chapter, Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit on his followers to empower them. And we live in that fifth chapter today. That fifth chapter will come to a conclusion when Jesus comes again at the end of that chapter. Christ's coming is soon because if the story of God were a book, we're living in the final chapter. Soon, I think, also means that Jesus is already with us. He's already with us. Christ's first arrival inaugurated God's kingdom. So now we live as participants and citizens of that kingdom even now. Jesus promised, I am with you always even to the very end of the age. And finally, I think that soon means that Christ's arrival will happen in our lifetime, one way or another. Now, before you start getting nervous and accusing me of setting dates, let me be clear about what I mean. Whether Jesus returns to earth in our lifetime or we die before Jesus returns to earth, we're going to be with Jesus at the end of our lives one way or another. He may not return to earth for another thousand years, but one way or another, he is coming. And in our lifetime at the end, we will be with him. I think this is part of what Revelation means when it tells us that he is coming soon. Notice in verse 10 of the reading that John is told not to seal up the words of this prophecy. And this stands in direct contrast to the prophet Daniel, who in Daniel chapter 12 was told by an angel to seal up the vision of the prophecy he received. You see, what Daniel didn't understand in his day is clearer now that John has had this vision. And although Revelation is not to be sealed up so people can't read it, we are warned in verse 18 and 19 not to add or take anything away from it. We dare not ignore the book of Revelation, but we dare not add to it either. And you know, today with so many people offering their own unique interpretations and speculations about Revelation, I can't help but wonder if our generation has been guilty of adding things to Revelation. You know, when I first became a Christian, some Bible teachers that I deeply respected told me that the Soviet Union was the beast in Revelation, that former president of the Soviet Union, Mikhail Gorbachev, was the Antichrist, that Pope John Paul II was the false prophet, and that bank debit cards were the mark of the beast. None of that stuff turned out to be true. 
with so many people in our generation adding their own ideas and speculations about Revelation, I can't help but wonder if that's what the warning in verse 18 is about. That warning should at least cause us to be humble about our own interpretations of Revelation. Another part of this passage that might be troubling to us is the description of people who are outside of the city, outside of God's new creation. Verses 14 and 15 picture God's new creation as a city with the tree of life growing inside the city. And, and Pastor Kate talked about this a lot last week, that, that Jesus is the temple in this city. There's no need for a physical temple because Jesus is there, the light and the center. And the gates of the city are open. But in verse 15 of our reading, it describes some people outside the city. In fact, it calls these people dogs. Now, I love my dog. I would never banish Emma outside forever, no matter how bad she was. Although I have to admit, I was tempted this week when she grabbed a half-eaten chocolate chip cookie out of my mouth and ate it before I could finish it but I'd never banish her outside forever. Many of us love our dogs, and it's, this is a hard one to read for us. In fact, I had a dog owner this last year ask me, why is the Bible so negative about dogs? I'd never been asked that question before. I had to research it, and I discovered back then that people back then didn't have dogs as pets. Dogs were wild scavengers that traveled in dangerous packs, and people viewed dogs back then the way we view coyotes today. In fact, back then, people viewed lambs the way we view dogs, and maybe some of you cats. Um, it was common for families to name their sheep and their lambs and to bring them inside their house when it got cold at night to keep them warm. So verse 15 is using this image of scavenging coyotes to describe people who in the end have rejected God's grace offered to them. The, the Bible consistently reminds us that even though God's grace is offered to everyone, not everyone will receive that grace. And we find several categories of people that describes here, that those who practice magic arts or sorcery, those who lived outside of God's boundaries for their sexuality with their bodies, people who've murdered, people who've worshiped idols, people who love and practice deception. And, and it's not that the people inside the city have never done those things. It's that the people described as outside rejected the grace of God's forgiveness for those things because they've closed themselves off to God's grace they're outside of God's new creation. Now, being outside the city is just another way of describing the eternal destination of people who reject the grace of God to the very end. Whether we call this hell or the lake of fire or the bad place, it's all describing the same thing. And whether we understand this as literal or symbolic, conscious or unconscious, and, and Christians do debate these things, verse 15 is a way of describing those who, after having the opportunity, 
have in the end rejected the grace of God. I'm reminded of what C.S. Lewis said about hell in his book, The Problem of Pain, when he said the doors to hell are locked from the inside. Or to use the imagery of this passage, the gates are empty. Or the gates are open, but people are still outside the city. In in another place, C.S. Lewis says there are only two kinds of people in the end. People who say to God, God, thy will be done, and receive God's grace. And those to whom God says to them in the end, thy will be done. And they choose to remain outside of God's grace. It's a sobering image for us. So let's consider how Jesus as the Alpha and Omega applies to us today. Three observations. First, we worship the one who is working out God's redemptive plan. Jesus is working out the plan of God. Jesus is the sovereign one who is over that plan from start to finish, from alpha to omega, from first to last, from beginning to end. And when we worship together, we are reminded that our lives are not just a random sequence of fortunate and unfortunate events strung together. We are reminded that our world is not a runaway train that's careening out of control and about to crash. As much chaos and unpredictability there is in our world, Revelation reminds us that Jesus is working out the plan of God. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last the beginning and the end. And that doesn't mean that Jesus causes everything that happens in our life, but it does mean he is at work in the midst of everything that's happening in our lives. Beck, he knew you before you were even created. Before God spoke the heavens and earth into existence in Genesis 1.1, he knew your name. He was present in the circumstances of your birth in your upbringing, and all of your life. And he is with you even now on the mountaintops and in the valleys, working out the plan of God. There's so much about this life that's beautiful and exciting and wonderful, but there's also a lot that's terrifying and heartbreaking. And we worship the one who is at work in all of it, the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Secondly, we also worship the one to whom everyone will give an account. Everyone will give an account to the alpha and the omega. Everyone who's ever lived, including you, including me, We will answer for every decision we've made, every word we've spoken, every dollar we've spent, every social media post we've posted. Jesus will render to each person according to what they have done. This is why in verse 11 of our reading, we're told to let people be who they are. Let people do what they're going to do because they don't answer to us. They answer to him. 
But this isn't a reason for us to live in fear. It's those who've been washed by God's grace who enter the city of God's new creation and eat the tree of life. We, we don't get into the city by accumulating enough good deeds to afford to buy a ticket to come through the gates. It's all by grace from start to finish, a gift from the one who is the Alpha and the Omega. And when we worship, when we worship together, we are reminded that everyone will give an account for their lives. Worship reorients us to this fact each time we come together. Finally, we worship the one whose arrival will redeem all creation. Whose arrival will redeem all creation. We've seen it again and again in Revelation that God's plan includes all creation, not just people. God is going to make a new heavens and a new earth. And when we worship, we lean forward into this future. In fact, we remember that we are part of this new creation. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians, we are new creations. The old has gone, the new has come. But our salvation, our transformation is just the beginning of a transformation of all heaven and earth. I love that image Pastor Kate used last Sunday about her friend's child who was content to stand in the bucket of ocean water when they went to the beach. She was content with her little bucket when there was an entire ocean available for her to enjoy. But we worship the one who doesn't want us to be content with our own little bucket when he's offering us the entire ocean. But so often this life gives us tunnel vision. We become preoccupied with our own lives, our own families, our own problems, our own nation. And don't get me wrong, those things are important. Life can be hard and our problems are not nothing. But in worship, we're invited to lift up our eyes. And the one who is making, to worship the one who is making all things new. The one who not only forgives our sins and claims us as his own people, but the one who will transform all creation. Worship is our weekly reality check. It's our regular reminder that God's plan is bigger and grander than we ever imagined. It's an invitation to be captured each Sunday by the glory of the one who is making all things new. Worship is a way for us to stop being content, standing in our own little buckets of ocean water, and together to venture into the vast, beautiful, mysterious ocean before us. I've been a pastor for 34 years now. And throughout my time as a pastor, more people have asked me to teach through the book of Revelation than they've asked about any other book of the Bible. And sometimes I've been tempted to say, you may not like what I have to say. Because when some Christians read Revelation, they see scary stuff on every page. They see cashless societies, one world governments, mass conspiracies, nuclear wars, Black Hawk helicopters. But when I read Revelation, I just see Jesus and the call to worship him. When the curtain is pulled back, it's Jesus who's revealed. Many churches around the world today call this Sunday 
Transfiguration Sunday or the Feast of Transfiguration. Transfiguration Sunday looks back at an event from Jesus's life that I think captures what we experience in Revelation and what we experience when we worship together. You probably know the story, maybe you don't, but at a certain point in Jesus's ministry, his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, accompanied Jesus to the very top of a mountain. And on top of that mountain, Jesus was transfigured. His appearance changed before their very eyes. Matthew's gospel tells us that his face began shining like the sun and his clothing became white like light. Now, Peter, James, and John thought they knew Jesus. They'd been spending nearly every waking hour with Jesus, listening to him teach, witnessing his miracles, seeing how he interacted with people, watching him argue with the religious leaders. But on that day, on the mountaintop, the Jesus they saw was different. And they were stunned. Because on that mountaintop, they discovered that there was far more to Jesus than they knew. The, the Bible then says in, in Matthew 17, 8, that a cloud of light formed around that mountaintop. And God the Father spoke these words, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased, listen to him. Our worship does for us what the mountain of transfiguration did for Peter, James, and John. Our worship pulls back the curtain just a little so we can catch a glimpse of his glory. And as it does, we realize that as much as we already know about Jesus, there's still a lot we don't know. He is bigger, grander, more glorious than we could imagine. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the only word we'll ever need. He is the first and the last, the one who is sovereign over all things. He is the beginning and the end, the Lord over every moment in our lives. And so in worship each week, we hear what Peter, James, and John heard on the mountaintop. This is my son. Listen to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that though there's much about Revelation that we don't understand, that in it we see Jesus, the worthy lamb, the son of man, the groom, the alpha and the omega, and we confess that as much as we love Jesus, as much as we worship Jesus, as much as we have learned about Jesus, there is so much more that we don't yet know. May we listen to him. May we follow him. May we set aside all false lords and all false gods and false saviors that make empty promises to worship and follow and treasure and adore him 
and him alone. For we pray these things in his name. Amen.